thank you for tuning in to the Voice of the Victim podcast. We discuss a lot of sad and potentially triggering things on this show. We try to be as sensitive and cautious as possible, but if you are sensitive to things involving abuse and may be triggered, please think twice before listening to our show. There are over 700,000 sexual offenders in the United States alone. With all the social media these days, how can we protect ourselves and our children from these despicable predators? Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast, where we discuss criminal cases that involve some factor of abuse. Our goal is to spread awareness of abuse that could be taking place around any of us and encourage everyone to take responsibility and report if they see a child or an adult being abused. When we talk about true crime stories, it can be hard to try to put ourselves into the story and imagining it ever happening to us. Some people may even blame the victim for putting themselves into a dangerous situation. But it can happen fast, and we may find ourselves as a prisoner of our circumstances before we even realize what's happening. It's easy to say, that could never happen to me, or I would never put myself in that situation but we'd be lying to ourselves if we really thought that was true. It could happen to anyone. Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. I'm Rosie. And I'm Ryan. And this week we have a special interview that we did with one of our guests. We're really excited to put her story out there. I think she is too. Well, a little nervous, but I think she's excited too. Yeah, it was a really heartfelt and touching conversation yes something that could have very easily been turned into a movie or still could be yeah and we really appreciate her um courage to be able to come on here and tell her story because you can tell while you're listening to it that she does have a hard time talking about it at certain points and Mm -hmm. and She's the one thing about her story is that she's still kind of in the middle of it, still dealing with, um, dealing with parts of it. So, yeah, it's really inspiring and and also just um, the knowledge that we can get about certain cyber crimes that she'll talk about in there. But I don't want to spoil too much. But right. it's just really interesting. Should we jump into it? Yeah. Um. But real quick, we just want to thank our patrons uh, for uh, helping us out and supporting us. You really inspire us to keep going and uh, keep putting in the work to make this podcast because we really believe it's an important podcast and uh, we're happy to make it. So thanks for supporting us and now we'll jump into it. When I graduated high school, I decided that I would try and become a a flight attendant instead of going on to college. And so I settled on a school in Minnesota, and the school had a contract with a couple different apartment complexes. So I was staying at an apartment with a couple other girls. And of course, being right out of high school and from a town that doesn't really have too much to do for younger people. The girls and I would go out quite a bit. And I think it was the second night I was there, we decided that we would go to a nightclub somewhere that had, I guess in Minnesota, it's common to have like 18 plus clubs. So we went, went out there one of the girls had invited a couple of people she said she knew and um, this one guy had lined up and I felt really bad for him because he got up to the door and he said that he he only had card he didn't have cash and so he couldn't get in so it was only a couple bucks so I, I paid his entry in and all of us the girls and I um, and this guy we all hung out at the club for a bit and afterwards we came back to the apartment and from then on this guy and I we just started spending a lot of time together and as we were spending time together I kind of thought maybe I was interested in him but I didn't have such great relationships growing up so 
I started talking to the girls and telling them some concerns that I had, some issues that I had with him. Um, but they all told me that, you know, well, maybe you're just looking for a reason to not like him. And maybe you're just mm-hmm. looking for a reason to not be in a relationship. And, you know, you're you're in a new place and you're starting a new chapter of your life. And it would be a good idea to start dating. So with that, I we started dating and I started ignoring major red flags. I think the biggest one was one that had happened only after dating for like three weeks. And I had gotten into an argument with um, one of my roommates and it was pretty bad. She was trying to get me kicked out of the school that I was going to. Oh my gosh. <laughs> mean (laughs) well you know um girls lots of drama yeah all pretty young you know so Mm -hmm. I was in one of the bedrooms and I was crying and I noticed that he had come into the door and he was standing in the doorway and he was just staring at me there was creepy yeah it was it was really creepy and it (laughs) it also upset me because I was thinking well if we were to switch places I could never just sit there and watch somebody cry like especially Mm -hmm. somebody I I said I cared about I would at least ask them hey what's wrong you know but there was nothing right (laughs) that's very odd it was it was and it it was a moment where I thought you know is it because he's just uncomfortable with crying, you know, and he doesn't know what to do or is like, is he devoid of some kind of emotion? Um, Mm -hmm. So, and it it was, it was situations like that that kept occurring where he didn't have a typical response to people in distress, but I got quite involved with, with the guy. I did get kicked out of the school eventually and I had no place to go because you know, I'd driven all the way from the West Coast. So I had my car and I had me and I had a couple of my belongings, but I didn't have any family in Minnesota. I didn't have any friends in Minnesota or anywhere close, even in the neighboring states. So, oh, so this was like a big move for you in the first place. Like this was across the country, pretty much. Wow. Yeah, it was, but it, it, you know that that never really scared me. I I mm. I liked adventure, and I you know, I kind of liked the fact that it would be the unexpected. I just didn't know mm. how unexpected it would. <laughs> would turn out to be. Um, so since I had no place to go, he brought me to a friend, his friend's house. And apparently it was his best friend. And um, they started arguing because we weren't really supposed to be staying there. Um, the landlords were complaining. So my boyfriend at the time and his best friend were, were fighting a lot. And because he didn't want his best friend to stay upset with him, he asked me, if I could give him a couple hundred bucks and I'd let him, Mm -hmm. I let him know that this was literally all I had because I, you know, I didn't have a job or or anything. So this was it. So, you know, I I can give him the 200 bucks, but you know, could you maybe pay me back or because I'm, I have nothing. (laughs) So he said that he would. And shortly after we gave him the 200 bucks, a couple days later, we had to get out of there. So he brought me to his parents' house. And we started living with his family. And at that time, we were 11 people. He had a couple of siblings that had their own room that they were still in school. And then he had an older brother who was engaged. And she had two children from a previous marriage. And then they just had a baby. It was a split level home. So um, his older brother and his whole family and my boyfriend and I were all on the um, the bottom level. We were together for um, two years there in, in his family's home. Mm-hmm. And oh, Cassie, can I ask you something quick? Yeah, yeah. Did you tell your call your parents and tell them the situation? You being pretty much stranded in Minnesota at that point? They had actually put in um, a missing persons report because I didn't have money to keep paying for my, my phone bill. So once that whole disaster happened where I I got kicked out and we were kind of in limbo, mm-hmm. all of that, he didn't think it was a good idea for me to contact my parents until everything was situated. So they didn't know where I was. And there was a point 
about a month after we had moved into his, his parents' home where he put me in his car and he drove me somewhere. He, he didn't tell me where he was taking me, but he kept asking me questions throughout the car ride. Like, so you're happy, right? And you think everything's good, right? Like we're we're going to be together and you're you're happy where you are and all that. And I thought it, his questions were really weird, but I told him, yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess I was happy. I missed my family and I wasn't entirely comfortable with the situation that we were living in. But yeah, sure. I mean, I, I really thought that I would end up marrying this guy. So I said, yeah, everything's fine. So when we finally got to this part, he had gotten out of the car and spoke to somebody else that had gotten out of another car. And they talked for a little bit and he came back into the car and he said, okay, the guy out there is a detective and he wants to talk to you. So that's when I found out my parents had put in for a missing person's report and all of that. And um, he took my picture and, you know, he asked if everything was okay. And I said, yeah, everything's fine. I mean, kind of in a bad situation with being kicked out of school, but yeah, everything's fine. So that was that. And I guess throughout the two years that we were together, it was bad. We were fighting almost every other day, if not every day. And it, I mean, it would get to the point where there would be physical altercations between the two of us. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple times where I tried to just leave and mm-hmm. um, he wouldn't let me. And I started to get a little nervous. I realized I was now in a situation where I didn't have a way to contact my family unless he let me contact them. I no longer could use my car because somehow he let his car get repossessed and he now drove my car. I was in his family's home and I had no family nearby, no friends nearby, no vehicle. Mm -hmm. And I started realizing the situation I was in was not a great one. Yeah, it sounds scary. Yeah, it's the real power imbalance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't think of it like that at that time. I thought I was being paranoid. I was being crazy. And, you know, everybody has fights, everybody has arguments. And this is just a temporary situation. Don't worry. You know, well, everything's going to work itself out. And um, it didn't. And (laughs) one of the weirdest situations I can remember was that he had gone to one of his friend's um, birthday parties. And it was at his friend's home. And he took me along. And we were still only at the most, maybe six months into our relationship. So it's still at a point where, I mean, even though we're arguing, like I kind of want to show him my best self, right? So I'm a very shy person. I usually only talk to people I know. I have a hard time with strangers and with people. But I also told myself going into this house party that, okay, I'm not going to be the clingy girlfriend. I'm not just going to hang around him. I'm going to let him, you know, have his fun and, and do his thing. And I'll, I'll just kind of sit back and mind my own business. And, and that's it. I was a smoker at that time. And while we were there, I wanted to get a pack of cigarettes. And there was a gas station, maybe a block down the road. And so I started to get my jacket on and, and started to walk out the building. And he had been drinking, but he came out and told me there was no way I was going anywhere. And it, it was just a weird interaction because I'm going right around the corner. I'm, I'm just going around the pack of cigarettes. I'm coming right back. You know, if you don't feel like that's safe, then I'm more than happy for you to come along. Or maybe, you know, you can send somebody along with me. And he got so upset. I mean, he was seeing red. And while his friends were out there watching us because we were arguing, he need me in my stomach. And and that that was my reaction because it it had literally come from nowhere. Like I, Mm -hmm. I don't think I there. I didn't even say anything that would upset anybody that much, you know. So yeah, and I, (laughs) I had the wind knocked out of me, so I fell on the ground. And while I was on the ground, he grabbed my legs and started dragging me back to the house. Oh my Mm -hmm. gosh! In front of other people too. Yeah, yeah, in front of his friends. And his friend ran up to us and had to pull him off of me. And the next thing I remember is I woke up in the morning and I was in a bedroom and I was by myself. And um, when I went out into the hallway, one of his friends came up to me and said, we had to separate you two. We had to make him sleep in a different room because we were scared of what was going to happen. So 
Now we're at a point where he's doing things like this in public. Scary. Yeah, for him to not even be worried about other people who are there. He's insane. That's pretty bold for someone to do that in public, especially. It is. And I, like now that I think of it, I, I don't know how anybody in their right mind or anybody who's smart would do that, you know? Mm-hmm. But it, he also, to give you um, a little background into him, he was also a police officer at one point. He was not actively serving anywhere um, while we were dating because according to him, he had been terribly wronged by one department. And so he quit and he was looking for a different city or a different department to work for during this time while we were together. But he had very close relationships with a lot of the individuals in different police departments. So he has that kind of confidence behind him and he's very charming um he's kind of the class clown he's really funny kind of the guy that like you know that's not a guy that could ever really hurt anybody ever those are the kinds of situations that have been going on within two years and me trying to leave not being able to leave and uh eventually um after some more issues and drama i got pregnant and things kind of went from bad to worse. We were temporarily back over on the West Coast when I first found out I was pregnant. And there was a lot of family issues at that point. And he told me, well, let's go back home and we'll, we'll always stay at my parents' house for a little bit. We'll find ourselves a place to live. And, you know, you'll, you'll make a lot of friends because they don't say Minnesota nice for nothing, you know? <laughs> that's funny. We're, we live in Minnesota and I know that's really not true. <laughs> it's more passive aggressive. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. That's <laughs> um, the first time I've heard people disagree with Minnesota nice. Oh, I think it's Minnesota passive-aggressive is more real. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah, so, you know, he convinced me. I have no idea what I was thinking. I knew I didn't like being in a relationship with him. I knew things were not good. And I knew that going back to Minnesota was not going to be a good idea. But I thought, okay, since I'm pregnant, maybe the fact that we're going to have a baby and and all that, maybe Mm -hmm. that's going to turn some things around. And just, just to be clear, like I, I wasn't trying to get pregnant so I could keep him or trap him or anything like that. It was, Mm -hmm. it was not a master plan of any sort. So we packed up and got in my car and started driving up that way. And the one thing I told him was that I, absolutely wanted nothing to do with his older brother because his brother would encourage him to be misogynistic and to be abusive. And he would say things to him like he had asked me, do I want something to drink from upstairs? His brother would say things like, are you her bitch now? Like, why are you asking her? He would say things like that, that I knew. jerk. I knew that he looked up to his older brother. So mm-hmm. when wow. he would say things like that, it would encourage him to not treat me well. And so he said, okay, fine. You know, we, we won't have any contact with them. I had asked him, I said, well, how are we going to not have any contact with him when he's still living at the same house? And he said, well, we'll just be nice, be civil. And we're not going to, you know, we're not going to go on outings with them or anything like that. Fine. So as we're driving back up, we made a stop in um, Iowa. And guess who's there? His brother and the whole family. Oh, wow. And you weren't expecting this, I'm guessing? No, 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 no. Nope. Oh. wasn't expecting any of it. Neither of you? or He knew about it. He just uh, hadn't told me. Uh, oh, okay. And as soon as I found that out, I I told him, I'm going back. There's no way. I'm not. I'm not going forward with this I'm the fact that you're already like we haven't even gotten back mm-hmm. home and you told him to meet us in Iowa no yeah you haven't even started your life with him yet you know it's your second go at it and um he looked at me and he said yeah how are you gonna get home oh. and I stared at him and I, I was like what do you mean how am I gonna get home it's my car give me the keys wouldn't give it to me oh, and man. and I knew I wasn't getting out of the situation um but I thought everything would would be tolerable but almost as soon as we got back home he kept me under lock and key in his bedroom i think 
my entire pregnancy, I know that he was very diligent about taking me to uh, my prenatal appointment, and he wouldn't leave my side when we were there, but he did take me because if he didn't take me, he knew that there would be concern. So aside from those appointments, I think he took me out of that room and out of that house three times in the eight months that we were there. What? Three times, you said? Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh, my God. But you would do things like you went ahead and brought this huge TV and put it in the room. And he sat there and can watch TV and you won't be bored. And I mean, what was I going to do? It's not like I had any family to check in on me or any friends or so. Okay, I guess. Um, Wow. So um, can you take us through a day that you would spend then? Was there a bathroom that connected to this bedroom or were you like completely having to ask him for everything, for food? How how was that? He he would let me use the restroom. Um, And as long as he was in the house, he could keep the door unlocked and I could go, I could walk about that lower level of the house. If he was going somewhere, if he was going out drinking or anything like that, then I was kind of um, SOL, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so he would lock it then when he left the house? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, if you were wondering, yes, uh, his family knew. And no, nobody what? helped me. Um, oh, my gosh. There were a couple times where, you know, his mom would come down and um, she might take me upstairs to give me something to eat. And, you know, when I would tell her, I can't do this, I don't want to live like this, mm-hmm. she would tell me, you know, well, if you leave, you have to think of it like this. You have to start all the way from the beginning again. And you've got a baby now. And how are you going to explain that to anybody else you try and see? And no, no, you need to, I know it's hard now, but you just need to keep working on things and eventually everything will be okay. So she's enabling him and no one realized this is like wrongful imprisonment? No. They just went along with it? Nobody thought like that. Nobody thought like that. So yeah, it was just okay. Um, I'm sorry. It sucks. Yeah, it's, I can't imagine well i wonder what he's telling his family members about the situation and how he's i wonder what his side is of how this is okay you know yeah how he's rationalizing it to yeah him. and how the whole family's like oh yeah that does make sense you know it just it's it seems unfathomable that it's okay to have your girlfriend locked in your basement you know i just don't get it crazy uh, well i have spoken to some of the family members since and um aside from one sibling everybody else refuses to acknowledge that it was wrong Mm. and they're also not a family native to the states they're asian so even my my boyfriend um he was born in a a refugee so his family has been through a lot Mm -hmm. and so i think that that kind of desensitizes you to trauma that you view as less traumatic than war yeah um Mm. yeah so there's all of all of that but the only other time that i really i can remember getting out and i probably had a chance to get away from the situation but i didn't was when i was eight months pregnant he broke my ankle when we got into an argument and so i freaked out i mean it, it was i was so much pain his best friend was also at the house at that point they were they were doing what they all love to do the most which was drink and uh, play computer games downstairs so he came out and I told him I said I need to go to the hospital because there's something that I can't walk and um, so they they relented and um, his best friend and my boyfriend carried me to the car and and my boyfriend drove me to the hospital. So I got my, my foot put into a, a cat or um a, a boot. I think they call it a boot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I got crutches and all that. Um, and I, I had a chance, I think, if I'd have taken it to tell the doctor at that point that I was I was in a bad situation and that this was a result of being in a bad situation. But I told him I fell off the bed. Um, and I, I I can't even tell you why I did that. Um, I, I feel like an idiot to this. Oh, no. Well, because at this point, I mean, I'm sure he's manipulating you daily 
and his family is enabling him. So, you know. Yeah, it's understandable why you would not want to come forward with everything right away. Because, I mean, to a point, you were still dependent on these people. They were still the only people that... And they're telling you that you are you are dependent on them. Like they're telling you that you can't leave because of this and this and this. So it's totally understandable why you wouldn't sell, tell the doctors. Even so, it, you know, it just, I just... I, it's like... I don't know where my head was at. I'm I'm not an idiot. I'm, you know, I got through school with a 4.0 GPA. I oh, I'm wow. not, you know, I'm I'm not an idiot and somehow mm-hmm. I was in the situation and I, and I didn't get out for so long, you know, and it it just yeah, I I was dependent on him and you know, I, but I it was also this um tug of war that we had constantly where I would be in tears and I would just, I just, I wanted to die. I was, uh, he made me feel like I either had to live with him and that this would be my life or I had to die. Mm. And I wanted to, I wanted to die every single day. And he would do things, um, when he would get me to that point where uh, he would tell me he was fine and he would do this thing where, uh, he would try and be cute, you know? to try and um, make me laugh and and he would say things like well you know you promised me that you were never going to give up on me because everybody else has given up on me and it was just there was so many so many things that he would say and that he would do that just um Mm -hmm. i'm so confused (laughs) yeah it's almost making himself seem like the victim is what that's what it sounds like yeah and manipulating your feelings oh yeah and um, to this day, if you ask him, I'm the one that ruined his life. So what? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And he is absolutely one of those people. He's going to blame everybody but him. If it's not me, it'll be his mom. If it's not his mom, it'll be God. If it's not God, it's that one police officer that took my job right from underneath me. I mean, he never has ever taken responsibility for himself. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I, uh, I remember after I got in my crutches, there were a couple times where we would get into arguments and, and he would, he would do things like, um, kick my crutches out from underneath me. <laughs> this guy sounds, oh, just like, yeah, picking on someone that's already hurt. <sighs> yeah. <sighs> the only reason that's significant to me is that he, he knew I was pregnant. And I mean, at eight months, you can tell somebody's pregnant. For most people, mm-hmm. like, with me, you could. I mean, I was so bloated and so big, and I thought I was having triplets. So, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so even knowing that, even seeing me in that state, you still are completely comfortable with mm-hmm. hurting me, you know. So that started sending more alarm bells up to me, because if he can do this to me in the state, what's to really stop him from hurting an infant? Or a child. Yeah. Um, throughout my pregnancy, he would do things like he would strangle me, um, and he would do it so hard that um, I would have bruising all the way up to like right under my chin and around my ears. There's been some research that I've read that people who who um, strangle others, especially um, people who are pregnant. There's a very, very high likelihood that they will go on to commit homicide. Um, I mean, that's something that I've only read about within the last couple of years. I Mm -hmm. didn't know that at the time. So, you know, I I finally went to labor with my son. um, And I remember begging him to go to the hospital because he was playing a game. And um, I told him that I needed to go to the hospital because I was in labor. Mm -hmm. And he kept playing his game and he'd look over at me and he'd be like, are you sure? Like, do you really feel like right now? <laughs> and um, it, it, eventually he took me and I had my son. Um, and one of the worst things that he's ever done to me, and I know it doesn't sound like the worst thing he could do to me, but I, I told him when I was in labor, I said, I don't want your family here. Mm-hmm. They can come, you know, tomorrow the next day after but I want I want this moment with my son you know 
Let me have yeah. that. Please yeah. let me have that. It's your day. You're the one going through all the oh, pain. Your, it's her baby. Yeah. <laughs> she gets to call the shots, I think. <laughs> and sure enough, after my son was born, his whole family mm-hmm. all came in. And um, I mean, you know, they didn't say anything bad to me. They didn't do anything bad to me or my son. They just, you know, took turns holding him. Ugh, but I yeah. just, it was the one thing that I just I just wanted. It was the one thing that I wanted, you know, and uh, he couldn't let me have it. So anyways, you know, everyone left eventually and that was that. And um, we got back home and I thought things would be different. And sure enough, it was the same thing. And, you know, I mean, my son and I are just in the room and it was now at a point where he didn't need to lock the door because mm-hmm. I wasn't going anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. And most of the time I tried to keep the door closed because he would be drinking so much and I didn't want my son exposed to all of that and things continued to get worse there was one day my son was I think maybe three months old and I was holding him and he got upset with me for some reason and while I'm holding my son he did that same thing like he did at his friend's house and he just need me uh, and um I was so afraid I was gonna drop my son. And mm-hmm. at this point I'm I'm really terrified that he's gonna hurt me, he's gonna hurt my child. And the worst thought to this day is if anything happens to me, he's going to go to his father. And I, I there's no way, no mm-hmm. way I want my child to ever experience being right. with his father. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, so if I die, you know, I, but I can't die. I can't die because mm-hmm. I need to make sure that I have control of the situation. And I snuck into the family room one morning and he was passed out. He had been drinking and um, I got his phone and I called my family. And this was mm-hmm. after the day previous, I told him I wanted to leave. i begged him. I said, I, I just want to go home. I, I, you know, I told him, you don't, you don't mm-hmm. want this child. You don't like me. You don't want anything to do with me. Like what? Can you just, I just want to go. I just want to go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take my son and go. That's it. You know? Um, and he looked at me with these dead eyes and his response was, you are never, never stepping foot outside the state. And I hope mm-hmm. mommy and daddy can send you some money because I will kick you out. And as long as you have my son, you're going to have to depend on the state to put you in some kind of housing. So, <sighs> and it, I mean, it was, he, he did not care. He didn't care about, well, you know, the welfare of his child or nothing. And mm-hmm. I asked him, I said, why? And he mm-hmm. said, because if you leave, you will try and squeeze every cent out of me or that kid. And I said, I will sign whatever you want right now. I want absolutely nothing from you. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, I mm-hmm. just want to go. No. And now that I think of it, like, he didn't have a scent for me to squeeze out of. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, what a scumbag. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's like listening to um, a book on tape, like a suspense thriller. I know. Honestly. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I'm kind of afraid that I, you know, that I'm boring you. <laughs> No, oh, no, not. not at all. Oh my gosh, no, you're not. Oh, I did call my dad and I told him what he had said. I said, you know, mm-hmm. once I got a hold of my dad, I told him everything. And I, well, not everything. I told him about the situation that I was in and I told him, Daddy, I want to go home. And he said that he was not going to let me leave the state and I'm going to be trapped here. And my dad got off the phone and the next day he was at the front door. My dad had flown um, to Minnesota and um, he was there to get me and my son. Oh, wow. And so, you know, Papa Bear my, uh, <laughs> my dad got me and, you know, he put my son and I um, on a plane back home. And um, my dad was the one that actually packed up my belongings and put it into my car and told my boyfriend, I'm taking her car. It's hers. It belongs to her. It's in her name, you know, so I'm not leaving the car here. And he drove, he spent the time to drive all the way from Minnesota, all the way back to the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I thought everything was good for the most part. You know, I got home, 
but this thing would keep happening where he would my 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 ex would keep calling me and every time I saw his name on my phone I would get I would get cold like mm-hmm. freezing like somebody had just dumped a bucket of ice water on me mm-hmm. and my teeth would start chattering and I didn't know what was wrong with me but it kept happening. So eventually I went to the doctor, told them about it. And um, then they sent me to a psychiatrist. (laughs) Then they diagnosed me with complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And all that's going on, but fine. Okay. I'm getting treatment. I'm I'm trying to get my life back on track. Um, Just me and my baby and my parents and, you know, okay, cool. Well, um, all of a sudden, about mm, six months later, maybe a little longer than that, he calls me and he says, hey, so I'm here and um, you think I can borrow your car for a couple of days and do you think my pa- your parents would be cool with me staying for a little bit? Oh, what? Gosh. <laughs> you, for him to just casually ask? Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Who does he think he is? Yeah. Wow. Okay. He, he couldn't leave well enough alone he he's here in town mm-hmm. yay yeah. he should just be glad that you he wasn't in prison like oh he knew he knew i was not ever going to tell anybody about that because i would be the idiot well why did uh, you stay with him for so long why did you go back with him when you were pregnant why would he, he knew that i would there's no way i could competently answer any of those and not sound like i was asking for it so uh, he knew i wasn't going to report anything you know um, but what I had been doing all this time was little by little, I had been collecting police reports. Um, mm. And I'd been, you know, like I'd gone down to the police department um, because there had been altercations even in my home state. So I collected all of those and I started doing these little things. And um, my father, not really knowing the extent of how insane this person could be, was telling me. I think you're overreacting. Everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, how do you explain him showing up then? You know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But yeah. anyways, after he shows up, I don't want to be painted as the spiteful ex trying to keep the child away from the father. Right? Mm-hmm. So I do my best whenever he asks to accommodate and let him see his, his son on the condition that somebody is present. That would be my dad. Mm-hmm. Or my dad and me together. So he's not mm-hmm. going to be left alone with the child for any amount of time. Um, and that worked fine until I stopped coming along. And he wanted me specifically to be the one to bring um, our son to these visits. Um, if you're there to see your son, that's not necessary. So I stopped with that because every time I was ever there, he wanted to try and give it another go and be in the relationship again. And I couldn't. So there was a restraining order put in place, all of that. Then the holidays came around and I felt I felt bad for him. Um, if you can um, comprehend that. I thought <laughs> he has no family here. He has no friends here. He is alone. His son is here. It's the holidays. This is when people feel most lonely. You know, maybe at least we can, you know, allow him to have Christmas dinner with us or something like that. You're just being a nice person. That's what I thought I was doing, but it was just stupid. <laughs> like the same way you met him, you were just trying to be a nice person. Was he trying to move to the city that you were in or was he just there for an extended stay or? No, no. He is there now. Okay. Okay. Wow. Okay. His new home. So, you know, I mean, then situation started getting worse where he would try and show up to see his son while he was drunk and he was he would be drunk at like 10 o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. so you know there were a couple times where we had to get the police and tell them that we need him to go because he once he was like uh get into our house he wouldn't leave if you told him to like he just flat out like you he wouldn't move it it, 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 it was it was the weirdest thing. And anyways, I mean, the very, very last interaction that I had with him, um, he had shown up to see my son and he, from his own admission, was drunk. And now he was high on ecstasy and he had wanted to take our, our son and drive him all the way across town to some 
park and I looked at him like Are no. what? <laughs> yeah. So so I asked him to leave. That's mm-hmm. all I said. I just repeat I, I mean, yeah, I, I can see where I might have been annoying because all I would tell him was, I need you to leave. I need you to leave. I need you to leave. You need And you did. You did need him to leave. So I mean I kept repeating it and repeating mm-hmm. it. And he would he would try and push my buttons by doing things like staring at me and saying, why don't you go upstairs and let the adults handle this, okay? Oh, you know? my and gosh. I, I didn't respond. All I said was, okay, you need to go. You need to leave. And, I mean, it was like a broken record. And as I'm telling him that, he got extremely upset that I wouldn't relax and calm down and just let him leave on his own time. So he, he pushed me hard enough that I fell back onto the tile. And he knew that a week before I was just in a car accident. So, you know, that did not help anything. Um, This was in your parents' house? Oh, this was in front of them. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. In front of them. And so we called the police. And luckily enough, the police officer that responded had been to our house several times before because of him. And by the time he came, my ex had already left. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm telling the officer this, he said, well, I know the situation you're in, but the best I can do at this point is I can call him and ask him what happened. And if he admits to it, which he probably won't, then I can arrest him. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if he doesn't say anything, I can't really do anything. And I said, okay, fine. So right there in front of us, you know, he gives them a call and um, a girl answers and she's sitting there saying things like, um, are you sure you have the right phone number? Um, I don't think you have the right number. Who is this? Um, oh, that guy you're looking for. Is that even a real name? Yeah, I mean, she, she was being really weird. And the officer yeah. was like, okay, whatever. Well, if you see so-and-so, you let him know that I tried to reach him and to give me a call back. So five minutes later, his phone rings and it's him. And um, he asked him what happened. And because he's so high out of his mind and drunk, he tells them what happened. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Finally, drugs actually help the situation. (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) And so the officer looks at me and he goes, "Um, okay, all right. So then I can either arrest you now you can meet me somewhere or I can arrest you when you least expect it, maybe at your workplace. <laughs> mm-hmm. He also tells him, also, you can let that young lady know um, that if she does something like that again, well, there will be repercussions for that. And <laughs> he tries to play it off as, well, did you dial the right number? Maybe you called my mom because she's not a native English speaker. And, oh, you know, is like, okay, all right, all right. So, off he goes. Um, he's arrested. And luckily in my state, um, I don't know if this is nationwide now, but I know at least in the state that I live in, whether the victim wants to press charges or not, it doesn't matter. The city will press charges, period, if there's any domestic. So even if you sit there and beg them not to, they're mm-hmm. going to press charges. So we have a court date. And um, when I start talking to the victim's advocates and all of that and letting them know about all the stuff that's happened to me, they said, put it in your victim impact statement. Write it all down, whatever you can think of, write all of it down. Um, because we can't, you know, the, the prosecutor can't do anything about charges that haven't been um, formally made. But, you know, that that kind of information is going to affect the judge's decision. So, um, yeah. so, so um, I wrote it all down. Um, and luckily, he had been arrested, charged, and convicted once before in my home state for oh, a similar wow. situation with in regards to me right before I, I um, found out I was pregnant. So with all of that being the case, he wasn't allowed to do anything like a, a diversion program or he would have to accept whatever the judge gave him. There was mm-hmm. no out for him. And so with that being the case, they said, okay, well, um, we can ask for probation. And I said, okay, well, that sounds fine. Could you add a psychiatric evaluation to all of that as part of his probation condition? Because mm-hmm. I really feel like, in my opinion, he has a severe 
narcissistic personality disorder coupled with psychopathy. He's not a normal person. He just flat mm-hmm. out is. And, um, and they agreed to it. And, okay, great. Everyone's on their way. He wants to kill me now because I have officially ruined his life, right? Um, and even with that, with him being on probation, he had done things in the six months that he had been in town where I was terrified of him because he had broken into my family's home. He had shown up at a place that I had started working at without me telling him where it was I was working. That's scary. And uh, he also had let me know that he had found a way to stalk me through devices. So he had everything sent back and forth. He had my bank accounts. Anything you can access on a phone or a laptop or a tablet, he had access to. Oh my, oh my gosh, that's scary. That is that that that's what's turned me into a crazy person. I mean, I always feel like no matter what I'm doing, he's watching. And the probation officers, they they got him to admit to it. And I mean, I had reported this a couple times already to law enforcement, but it's such a new area, I guess, of crime that there's not much that they can do for you when you're being stalked through, you know, devices, digitally, anything. There's not much they can do for you, you know? So, yeah, I had reported it and yeah, I have copies of the reports, but the police just said, well, maybe get a new phone. Um, wow. So, you know, and I have, I've gotten two phones since I found out about this. I've gotten my son a new tablet. I've, I've changed phone numbers, God knows how many times. I've changed my email address. And mm-hmm. it's, it's still the fear that I don't know how much he knows and he doesn't know, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so, you know, there's still pending court, court cases and, um, it's still not over. And um, in the six months that I knew he had been escalating, I was working full time. And every night I came home, before I would open the door to the house, I was convinced I was going to find both my parents dead and my son gone. And that <sighs> image, I can just, I, I saw it every single day that I would go home before I opened the door. Oh, it's terrifying. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, um, he violated probation. And he was in jail for a couple of days and he's back out. He's still on probation. I, I've told the judge and I've told law enforcement officers, um, and I don't know if you should put this in, but I've, I've spoken to um, the FBI as well to, to let them know about everything that was going on. And I think I spent more than 12 hours interviewing with a, a federal agent um, wow. about all of that. Yeah. Um, but Aside from all of that, I mean, I've told everybody, isn't he is either going to go away, like somebody's going to have to put him into a, a prison, or he will kill me. I'm going to, he's going to kill me. I'm going to end up dead. And I don't know how many times I've told different law enforcement officers that, and um, told the judges, I've told victim advocates, and there. I mean, I know that everybody's doing their best to to help me, but you know. At the end of the day, I feel like it's never going to be over. He either wants to win completely, which means killing me and maybe even my family and taking my son, or he he needs to be put away, you know, but that's, um, that's, I mean, that's, that's, uh, I'm trying, I tried to condense all of that as much as I could, um, but that's pretty much where I'm at right now, so. (laughs) I I think you did a great job, and. Yeah, told it really well, and I think it's important for this message to get out there because the fact that these cyber crimes are are almost like a loophole that they don't know exactly how to prosecute or what they can do about it, it's so scary, and it's an issue that needs to be known and addressed. Yeah, and I think, I I mean, I don't want to compare it to anything else, but it's almost a a type of psychological warfare Mm -hmm. because you... It's just not knowing is the worst, not knowing what somebody else knows about you, what they're, what they're watching, what they, you know, and it's no matter how many times you change a password or delete accounts, make new accounts, get new devices, you know, did that really help? Or, you know, did they just find another way to get in? It never mm-hmm. stopped. I can't even imagine. I know the, I mean, the fear that you must be in and having to watch your back all the time, I can't imagine 
the way that you have to cover your tracks all, at all times. <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, I told my dad uh, when I was really, really young, like six or seven, I was really into James Bond, and I told him I wanted to be a spy. <laughs> and I told my dad the other day, I said, Dad, I, I feel like I am working for like the Secret Service. Or I'm a spy because of because of all the things I have to think of and how, you know, how many times I I, I change my accounts and my passwords. I you know, and if yeah. you look at it the wrong way, I almost look like a criminal. Like what is what is this girl doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully they'll they'll have good enough communication to realize why you're doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I I think I have enough documentation to back it yeah. up. But, yeah. yeah. I think so too. Wow. I, I don't even know what to say. That's such an intense story. And yeah, sorry. <laughs> I just hope that the law enforcement figures out something they can do to help you out. You said there were still pending trials and stuff? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, which is why there's some parts I'm trying to keep a little more vague than others. But I am, I'm, I'm hoping that I can get all of this behind me soon. Maybe within the next two years, and that's my goal because with being as paranoid and crazy as I am now, I mean, I had a really great job and I loved what I did and I was there for a little over a year. And because of the mental strain and for PTSD, they, they basically want to like sedate you so that your your body is not really uh, responding to that flight or fight. Oh, yeah. but. You know, your brain is still working. It's so they try to put me on different medications. And eventually I had to quit working where I did. And I feel like I don't even have the freedom to take the steps that I need to in order to provide for my son and, and move forward with my life. So, you know, I'm, I'm living with my parents and I have a child and, and I'm almost a hermit. You know, mm -hmm. it's not fair, but, mm -hmm. you know, what I mean, wow. and the other day, my, my sister, she said, well, yeah, but at the end of the day, like you chose him, you chose to be with that guy. Mm. So there's still stuff like that where it's just, I, dealing with people <clears throat> is difficult. Dealing with life is difficult. And mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I just wanted to say, like, I, I didn't, I wasn't trying to reach out you guys or I'm not I'm not trying to tell my story because I, I, I want anybody to feel sorry for me or anything like that it's not like that at all I just um I'm at a point in my life now where I can actually I want to say something I want to talk mm -hmm. about it you know yeah so <laughs> Well, that's really amazing that that you're willing to talk about now and you're not just paralyzed in fear but you're trying to make progress and get past it so you can put it behind you. And even though you said that you're kind of a hermit now and you're living with your parents, like you <clears throat> survived and you got out with your son in tow. I mean, a child that you were able to get out of those circumstances. So I think that there's also some really good positives to your story, even though, you know, not everything is where you want it to be yet. There's still some really good positive outcomes that you've made happen for yourself. Yeah. That, that's true. And um, and I did want to go ahead and email you guys a picture of me. son. he's even with all of that, I know he has some fake, fake memories, but he's so happy. I mean, every yeah. morning, if you wake him up, the first thing he does is he smiles, which is the opposite of me because I don't want anybody <laughs> to wake him up. <laughs> uh. he, he's such a happy child and he, he's so kind and sweet. Um, and the other day I was feeling a little down and I try not to cry in front of him or anything like that, but I did. And he came up to me and he said, mommy, what's wrong? There's nothing. Don't worry about it, honey. It's just, you know, mommy's having a moment. And, um, he said, can I talk to your heart then? I said, my oh. heart. And he said, yeah, your heart. I said, okay. And he, he tells me to open my mouth. And he starts talking into my mouth and he's like, oh, hello, heart, please stop making mommy cry. It was oh. such a sweet kid. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's so cute. That's so sweet. That's like a Hallmark commercial. <laughs> that's so cute. I have no idea where he got it from. But it, it, 
cute. Yeah, and it's probably exactly what you needed to hear. You know, just something so innocent and sweet like that. Yeah. The one thing that really stuck out to me that you said before is that your final decision point where you realized that you had to get out of that situation is that you didn't want anything to happen to your child. And, I mean, it just shows that you're a good mom. And even if you weren't at the time trying to get out of there for yourself, you would for your child. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I mean, the thing I told myself when he was born was I've messed up so many things in my life, but my child is the one thing I don't want to mess up. You know, if I could just raise a child that doesn't have baggage and doesn't <laughs> yeah. have to deal with trauma, like I, mm-hmm. that's what I want, you know? So yeah, yeah, yeah. He is. Um, and it's, it's funny, you know, when you, when you are a child, when you, when you're a parent, um, because I, I don't want to say mother because there are some very, very um, amazing fathers out there. But um, yeah, the fact that you have this other life that is completely dependent on you, how how it's going to turn out depends on me and what I do. That was enough to say like, okay, this isn't what I want. You know, this, this, this is not okay. He can't be trapped in a, a room his whole life. You know, right. with yeah. a father yeah. that, that's that's going to hurt him, and I don't care if he had if it was physical or not. I mean, I know how bad emotional emotional trauma can be, and mm-hmm. you know, even if he had never laid a hand on him, I know that there's no way he would have been able to get out of that without being hurt by his father. Well, that's it's really nice to hear because we research and talk about so many crappy parents that do terrible things to their children and so nice that even though you were in a traumatic situation yourself you still were a good parent i think yeah and i yeah but some of the stories i've I've heard on on the podcast it 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 breaks your heart it really Mm -hmm. does yeah yeah i've cried several times (laughs) when we try to do it but yeah it just puts your life in perspective I think when we hear these these things, and even yeah. your story, it puts people's lives like, oh, you know, my crappy job, and I'm in debt. Well, at least I'm not locked in a room. You yeah. know, it and just it helps people. Yeah. I think. Yeah, and, uh, and we really appreciate you uh, taking the time to call us and share it with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not easy to call strangers and then tell you know a bunch of people who are going to listen to the story. It's not easy to get the courage to do it. Yeah. So. Yeah, we thank you a lot. I'm just, um, I kind of, uh, I, I kind of can't even really believe I'm talking to you guys because I listen to you and it's, um, <laughs> um, it's, um, it's amazing. I mean, I, um, I, in general, just, I love it in your podcast and I, I love, I love the fact that you tell it from the perspective of the victim and especially your story, Rosie. I was listening to it and some of some of the things you were talking about in it, it made me feel comfortable enough that I could say something because, you know, some of the things that you said were, you know, well, you might think this or other people might say this, but you have a way of getting across what it feels like to, to be a victim when other people might say, well, you kind of put yourself mm-hmm. in that position or, or, you know. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it's important to... I think it's important for those people who are so self-righteous and just they know they've got all the answers, even though nothing's ever happened. Yeah. It's important to to just be like, you know, like sit down and listen to this whole story. You know, I think it helps people who are really close minded to maybe open up a little bit or we're going to force them to hear a story and open up a little bit, you know? And the other nice thing is when we do share it on here, we, we kind of start building a community of people that do understand. And it's like a support system Mm -hmm. rather than, because I know the kind of people you're talking about are people that even if you explain to them a hundred times, they'll never really get it. They'll never understand or see your side of it. So Mm -hmm. it's just cool to have this community where there's people that, do understand and can relate mm-hmm. yeah i'm sure we'll have lots of listeners who email us about how amazing your story is and how much they appreciate it yeah. oh my gosh <laughs> i i don't think i mentioned this but i i am going back to school now so i'm not you know absolutely oh. doing nothing <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh Right now, I'm I'm trying to get a general human services degree, but my mm. hope is 
that I can go eventually study criminal law because uh, that's great. Yeah, I want to take my situation and build on it. And I, more than anything, I want my son to be proud of me, and I want him to see that no matter what situation it is, you know, good or bad, like you you can take it and turn it into what you want, so that you mm-hmm. own it. You know. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's my my life plan. But I, I mean, you know, something that you made me think of, Ryan, um, is that you probably know about this more than I do. But a lot of people who are very um, self righteous and, and closed minded, especially when it comes to um, domestic violence and abuse and all of that, um, most of them are. Uh, women um and i don't know it's um it's this idea that well i would never get myself into that Mm -hmm. situation Mm -hmm. and um yeah i found out about it i was um i was researching the oj simpson case yes i know i know everybody knows all about it um (laughs) no judgment (laughs) but i was reading um the uh the um the the individual that was helping with the jury selection, she was the one that had um, written this article and she said that the majority of people that they wanted to get rid of were women because the women were so um, proud. Like, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't let a man do that to me. Mm-hmm. Ugh, that's, <laughs> that's that is sad. really interesting. Huh. That, well, when she said that, I could picture someone that we know saying that. Let's <laughs> not say names. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to say any names, but I I know the kind of people you're talking mm-hmm. about. <laughs> but anyway, um, if if you don't mind, we'd really love it if you just kept in touch with us and kept updating us on what's going on. Yes, yes, absolutely, and especially once we can get this whole thing done and over with, which I'm like I said, I, I'm hoping is really soon. Especially then, I'm more than happy to give you every little detail you ever <laughs> wanted to know and then some. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. But thank well, you. Well, yeah. Much. Yeah. It's been a very successful interview. Yeah. We don't really know how to interview people, but I mean, we just like talking and hopefully people like just listening to <laughs> a conversation instead of like a professional sounding interview. <laughs> You know, I, I I thought I thought there would be a whole bunch of grilling, so this this was oh, very comfortable for me. Oh good. Oh good. We're glad to hear that. When was that? And um, what exactly happened? And um, okay. And how did you feel that time? And what was his response? Can you tell me? It's like, <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know. And I agree. <laughs> so this was um, this was comfortable and good. Good. And so grateful that you guys do the podcast and you know i mean it, it makes a difference I and mean, at least it did to me so um, i'm i'm grateful for that and well thank you for saying that yeah yeah and it's god's honest truth um it meant a lot to listen to your podcast and um and i will continue to listen so <laughs> i don't well, know awesome. if i could listen to myself though <laughs> it took me a good month before I listened yeah. to my own. Didn't you just listen yeah, to your yeah. own episode? Yeah. It's weird. It's weird, and the whole time you're like, oh, "Do I really sound like that?" You know, because <laughs> you're not used to your voice. But yeah, just go yeah, at your pace. Rosie, I do all the editing, so Rosie doesn't really ever hear the fi- final product of our podcast. So <laughs> it's real. It's weird for her still to it's, hear. Yeah, talk. it is still weird. <laughs> oh my. Oh wow! Well, I I think you two sound wonderful. <laughs> oh, thank you. And yeah, and like I said, I think you're. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and and I I think yours is very unique. And it's the only podcast that really um, moved me um, emotionally and made made a difference where I felt like I could actually say something and want to say something. So wow, that's really like, super encouraging. <laughs> Thank you. That means a lot to us. It does. Really Really appreciate that. So we just want to say thank you again to Cassie for being on our show. She did such a great job, and her story is really unique, I would say. What about you, Ryan? Absolutely. And, I mean, it still gives me the creeps thinking about it. 
and just what this person could get away with. Mm -hmm. I mean, the phone calls with the cop while he was high on ecstasy and and still not being arrested, it's kind of scary. Oh, totally. Um, we totally encourage people to email us with some nice words for Cassie. Yeah, please definitely share your feedback um, for Cassie, and mm -hmm. we'll, we'll definitely share it with her. Is there anything else you wanted to say? I'm sorry, I cut you off. Nope, nothing. All right, well, we want to thank Cassie again. Um, for sharing her story and it was really powerful and we're really happy that uh, that hearing Rosie's story was um, encouraging to her and gave her the strength to share her own story that's so cool to us that it mm -hmm. had that impact so yeah and maybe you're listening to the story and you're a victim yourself or you're a survivor and you want to share with the world please don't hesitate to email us we can set up an interview according to your schedule. We're pretty flexible. Mm -hmm. We would love to hear from you. Yeah. So uh, to wrap things up, you can follow us on Instagram at VOV Podcast and on Twitter at VOV Pod. And uh, email us at VOVpodcast at gmail.com. And, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. everything if you've been enjoying our show for a while and you want to show more support please we invite you to become part of our patreon family where you can get some cool stuff depending on how much you want to spend per month absolutely you'll get our eternal gratitude if you do support us because it really means a lot to us mm -hmm. all right well thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week host of the California Dreaming Podcast, a show that delves into the darker side of the not-so-golden state. Together, we will visit some of the most unhinged and chilling crimes that ever shook California and beyond. Join me as I take you on a journey into a new story each week with a different backdrop from all around California, from the bright lights and glamour of Hollywood to the picturesque and tranquil wine country. No crime, no town, nobody is off limits. Listen to California Dreaming on the Orbital Jigsaw Network or anywhere you listen to podcasts.